Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first full-length episode of the MMM podcast. This is Mark Iskowitz. I'm joined here by my co-host, Larry Dobrell. Hello, Mark. Hey, Larry. And our first uh, guest, we're very pleased to, to welcome our, our, our special guest today, Becky Chittister, who's CEO of Wonderman Health. Hey, Becky. Hello. Very Thank excited you. to be here. Thank yeah. you so much for being here with us and for being our crash test dummy. <laughs> uh, we apologize in advance for anything that transpires while we're figuring this out. Well, we'll, uh, we'll keep it real as, as we promised, uh, but we'll go easy on, on Becky. Um, but um, we're going to talk about um, uh, changes at WPP, other trends in, in the world of pharmaceutical marketing, and um, we uh, look forward to a great conversation. So without further ado, uh, we'll get started here. Um, so just to recap a little bit of the recent history, um, in, in September of 2018, um, not long into his tenure as CEO, Mark Reed, um, combined VML and YNR to create VML YNR, uh, which was built as a digital brand experience agency. And then uh, later that same month, um, or excuse me, in, in, in October, I believe it was, um, WPP announced a second internal merger of agencies uh, where he took, he, he discontinued the WPP health and wellness brand. Uh, and then he combined three of the agencies, the health agencies, into the mainstream shops. And the fourth one, um, uh, CMI, uh, was to work with a new WPP health practice led by Mike Hudnell, previously CEO of WPP Health and Wellness and now global head of WPP's new health practice. Um, and uh, stay with us, folks. Uh, then in November, WPP merged Wonderman and J. Walter Thompson to form Wonderman Thompson. Um, and uh, then um, in December, um, Mark Reed said there will be no more um, uh, mergers or combinations of major creative networks. So that was quite quite a bit of change uh, for one year. Um, and um, you know, we just wanted to ask you a couple questions about how you think that's going, Becky. First, first up being when Sudler merged into VML YNR, it spawned the VML YNR Health Practice. But Wonderman already had a standalone health brand, uh, your agency, Wonderman Health. So what does Wonderman look like now that GHG has been integrated into it? Yeah, I, I uh, as to your point, you know, Wonderman Health uh, was focused really around uh, digital opportunities. And so now with the addition of GHG, we're able to offer our clients greater depth uh, in professional and uh, science content. And, you know, GHG always had a reputation also for being a leader in technology and, and digital. So it has just strengthened our, I think, our opportunity to work with clients, again, from, a, uh, from both a consumer and a professional perspective and actually help them deliver uh, better engagement uh, to their audiences. So that, I think that, that is a big part of our uh, mission. Uh, I guess let me just kind of comment on the fact that Mark's changes. I actually had the opportunity to work with Mark Reed because he was the CEO of, uh, of Wonderman. And, uh, you know, and, and I know uh, that what was behind that change was to really make sure that we were delivering on our clients' objectives to work with partners in a more agile and simple way. And I think in healthcare, we see that in particular because clients really are looking for a place that can not only, I think, deliver against some of these, uh, you know, the, these different audiences, but to do it in a way so that we're connecting the communications between those audiences. So uh, um, I think, you know, Mark is responding to the market and to client needs. And then in healthcare in particular, it really also was an opportunity for us to not just, I think, respond to the needs, but then start to develop capabilities in new areas. Okay. 
Um, when this was being thought through, when you were having those conversations with Mark, what were some of your concerns? Um, some of those concerns, did they come to pass? How have they been addressed? Um, and what still needs to be kind of pushed through to make everything run the way everybody wants it to run? Yeah, I, I have, honestly have to say there have been no concerns. Yeah. Uh, and there were no concerns, and, and I couldn't be more thrilled about uh, the progress that we have made as a united group. So um, I think, uh, and Mark was very thoughtful about uh, where he put the healthcare agencies into what network so that there really was uh, a cultural uh, alignment. And that's one of the reasons why, again, I have no concerns and also why it has, I think, why the combined entity has turned out so well is, as I said, we both, we, we had, you know, different uh, degrees of expertise in terms of they have more depth around science and professional communications. We had more uh, depth in digital and, and uh, consumer, but we also had a very shared mission around uh, technology at the core um, and using data uh, to drive more, you know, uh, personal uh, communication. So, the, you know, bringing us together has not been hard because we had a you know shared uh, vision and purpose about what the what our clients need and how we need to put our capabilities together. Um, how about the cultural fit? Was that something which, I mean, I assume it was talked about well in advance. That's not the kind of thing that you do. You throw two companies together that might match, they might not match. How how were some of those issues addressed in advance, and um, what's still left to be done on that front? Um, as I said, you know, culturally, I think because both of us have really have an alignment around innovation, the use of data, the use of technology, that it really hasn't been um, all that challenging. I think, you know, any time that you put um, a couple of organizations together, and even within Wonderman Health, Wonderman Health represents not just a group focused on pharmaceutical clients, but we also have capabilities around a payer audience. We also have international capabilities. We have people that work in consumer health. And so, you know, and I, I wouldn't say that it's a cultural issue, but I would say that we found ourselves in a situation where we really were able to meet the needs of the entire healthcare spectrum and industry and wanted to make sure that as we were putting, you know, our capabilities together, that we, you know, brought um, capabilities and offerings, I think, to all of those different uh, industry subsegments. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've mentioned over the course of the last couple answers, um, clients, um, what's some of the initial feedback been? Um, you know, pharma clients are, I think it's fair to say without indulging in stereotypes here, somewhat resistant to change. Um, what were some of the things you've heard? Um, what were some of the concerns they had and how did you um, allay them? The clients have been very positive. I think because clients, as I said, if you really look at their needs today, they are looking for ways to have access to talent in a more simple and integrated offering. You know, that, you know, the world has gotten more complex. Our clients have, you know, very, uh, you know, tremendous demands. And so to have to work with all these different agency partners is actually a challenge for them, not only in terms of the management of their time, but also back to my point of actually delivering on their objectives of more integrated services and offerings. So they're, I think they're excited to be able to have a partner that can meet the full, you know, the their full needs, and then and then in addition, I think most of our clients are also very excited 
for some of the you know Wonderman expertise to infuse you know uh, the other relationships. So the fact that Wonderman has a tremendous amount of expertise in personalization, uh, in data, um, in AI, in you know machine learning, all of those capabilities to be able to apply that to all of our engagements and for you know and for the clients that we serve to not have to necessarily engage in another partner, but just have that you know available to them is also something that I have discovered that they're very attractive uh, to. And then the last thing I would say is that our clients, most of our clients, uh, even though they may engage us for just a kind of a domestic or the U.S. Um, opportunity, many of our clients are really struggling with competing in a you know global world, right? And as I said, they you know for them they're not looking for to have you know so many uh, diverse relationships. But how can in this you know relationship um, of Wonderman Health, how can we really help them not only service those multiple markets, but actually deliver on their objective of um, <clears throat> of taking global assets and actually you know. Make making sure that they are activated in markets. So you really do need to have a central partner to be able to do that. So the clients, as I said, really have not voiced um, any concerns. I think they're very excited about the new robust uh, offering that we're able to deliver to them in one uh, in one team. And um, just going back to, to what happened in October for another moment with Ogilvy, you know, merging into Ogilvy, the mainstream Ogilvy, and uh, Sudler merging into VML YNR, some people were saying, well, this could spell um, a trend of standalone health practices becoming, standalone health agencies becoming mere health practices within mainstream agencies. Do you see that uh, going forward as, as becoming a trend, the end of the standalone healthcare agency? No, uh, not necessarily. Uh, but, I I do, say exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, um, exactly. But I do think. Again, the power of Wonderman Health, right? Uh, the new Wonderman Health is not only our ability to bring the, you know, the expertise as we talked about of GHG and, you know, Thompson, but it's also to, uh, to tap into the capabilities of Wonderman, Wonderman Thompson them, itself, right? Mm -hmm. And I do think that that is a trend. That we will, you know, that we will see. Yes, there is. I think you know, there's always a need for healthcare expertise, and to make sure that you have a group of people that really are focused and devoted, and have the right talent uh, infrastructure to deliver on that. But at the same time, I do think that there is a desire from healthcare clients to tap more capabilities, whether that's e-commerce. Uh, whether, again, that's broader um, production capabilities, whether that is, uh, you know, the uh, data infrastructure, some of the technology, the platforms, Wonderman has relationships with, you know, Google and Salesforce that we are, mm -hmm. you know, that we are able to bring to these relationships. And I do think that that is very appealing uh, to clients and will probably be more of the future um, mm -hmm. as we, you know, move, move forward, not only this year, but in, you know, in years beyond. Right, and you, and you mentioned uh, technology and e-commerce, which were two of the planks of Mark Reed's uh, new announced, uh, you know, restructuring uh, back in December. The other two being communications um, and creative, I believe. Um, so he seems to be um, stressing um, the technology um, aspect 
um, and, and supporting chief marketing officers and chief uh, information officers to, to build out operating uh, or marketing technology. How does that play out in healthcare? Will we see marketing automation become a bigger part of budgets this year? Yeah, absolutely. We are already seeing it become a bigger part of our budgets, and mm -hmm. uh, and you know I think and it may be one of the things that might be more on our radar as Wonderman Health because we really do have the expertise of CRM and you know personalized communications. But yes, I do think that healthcare clients recognize that to be effective and to engage doctors and patients that they have to communicate uh, with them, you know, as as you know, as we've always said, kind of in the you know in the right channel, in the right moment, with the right content, mm -hmm. and that does and that does require uh, the right type of technology, infrastructure, and platform to be mm -hmm. able to support that. Now, again, with I think within our organization, most of our clients, particularly because we work for you know large organizations, they have in many cases have identified those plat uh, platform partners. But one of the things that we've experienced, you know, time and time again is they've made the investment but they're not really reaping the reward of those uh, you know of those platforms so they're you know they're using some of those platforms in kind of in the most you know modest way you know mm -hmm. emails still are very static you know they're you know they're they're not really again not really uh, you know developing a relationship over a period of time so that is one of the things that we are working with them is to better leverage the investment that they've made against mm -hmm. those platforms and then also add different capabilities like data or AI or machine learning to make sure that again that you know they're getting the true uh, power and the benefit of that investment sure makes sense just want to switch gears for a moment and uh, talk about um, the recent passing of Lester Wonderman you know everybody was very uh, saddened I think to, to hear about that um, you know, he was chairman emeritus and founder of Wonderman he died January 9th for anyone who might not be aware of that um, but also you know I'd offered a, everybody a chance to kind of reflect on the impact that he's had um, on the industry um, obviously started uh, Wonderman as a direct marketing agency back in 1958. Um, and um, when did you start Wonderman Health, by the way? You, you actually were founded the agency. Yes, um, 2011. 2011, okay. Yeah. okay. Um, and uh, so everybody kind of quoted that, that famous speech mm -hmm. that, that he made in 1967, that advertising must not only sell the consumer on the idea of trying the product, but it must cause them to continue buying it as well. And we were wondering how direct marketing in the pharma industry will bring that definition to life this year in 2019. Um, Sure, and I'm very anxious to talk to you about some know, of my yes. experiences with Lester because, yes, I started Wonderman Health in 2011, but prior to that, I was, uh, you know, I was the CEO of Wonderman New York, and actually had the opportunity to work directly for Lester right, in that capacity. So Lester, who at that point was in his 80s, still came to work every day. And, um, and I had monthly meetings with him uh, to be able to get his counsel. So I guess we can talk a little bit later about some of the observations that I Ooh, had um, yeah, from, from those monthly meetings. So to, you know, to your question about where is direct marketing you know, going the, you know, this year and beyond, 
Um, first of all, I'm going to actually just kind of comment on the word direct marketing because direct marketing, I think, oftentimes has this association with direct mail or email, and then there's all the you know there, then there's all the sort of baggage with CRM and you know and, and digital marketing. But I you know I especially as a practitioner of you know direct marketing and CRM and digital marketing, I really do feel that they all represent the same thing. And that is, how do you use uh, data to deliver, again, more personal and relevant uh, communication in order to drive action? Uh, so, so for me, you know, from a healthcare perspective, there is no bigger challenge than, um, you know, than breaking inertia uh, and dealing with complacency. You know, that is still, I thought it was interesting uh, reading all the commentary from CES with all this investment that's out there in digital health, more wearables, you know, virtual assistants, uh, you know, uh, prescription reminders. You know, the, I think one of the, uh, you know, commentaries was what, why are people still sick? You know, why, do we, why have we really not had the type of impact on health mm-hmm. that, um, you know, that we all would want to have? And, and I think from all the work that we've done, and at Wonderman Health, we actually put a considerable amount of time studying this. We did a study on health inertia um, and, you know, and, and have discovered that, you know, people, one, are wired to be um, optimistic. And two, to break inertia, you really have to connect with people in more, you know, personal ways. You have to, you know, have to have content that's more empathetic. You have to connect with people where they are, right, and reach them at the kind of in the right moment as, you know, as they're, you know, considering their, you know, their options uh, around health. And so, again, from my perspective, with health inertia being such a, such a big challenge for our industry. If we really want to drive the type of outcomes that we all collectively are looking to do, if we, um, if we want to break uh, inertia, if we want to reduce the cost of care, then we have to deploy some of, the, you know, some of the things that I'm talking about. And so I'm very excited about the future path for you know, direct marketing because- <laughs> Whatever we're uh, and per- it. Exactly, whatever how we want to call it, or personalized marketing, because that is the only way I believe we will actually start to make the progress in breaking inertia. Okay. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about Lester, um, the person, um, about maybe some of the things that, you know, we all read the obituaries and everything else, but maybe some of the things that, you know, he conveyed to you in those monthly meetings that you talked about. Yeah. Um, what was it like working alongside um, someone who, by any measure, was a legend? Yeah. It's um, so as I said, I you know really had this uh, incredible opportunity to have these monthly conversations uh, with Lester, and there's a couple of things that I would say uh, that I took away from uh, from those meetings. One is is the term direct marketing. So you know, reading obviously everything in the last month uh, I know that's been uh, discussed about Lester. He's you know clearly credited for coining the term uh, uh, direct marketing and actually having a big influence and creating this uh, category. But in my conversations with Lester, one of the things that he talked about in that famous 1967 speech is that he he kind of almost regretted calling it direct marketing and wanted to call it individualized marketing or personalized marketing because he did 
he did, you know, what he was trying to communicate in that speech is how important it would it is for brands and companies to use data and to use, you know, technology in order to gauge people to, you know, to drive their type of behavior. So what's interesting, you know, to me is, you know, 50 years later from that speech, here we are, I think now really in a, I think in a way to actually realize his vision. The second thing that to me again was interesting about my conversations uh, with Lester was his future and innovation orientation. So I would go into these meetings and uh, and want to talk about his legacy. You know about he. I mean, Lester also had a time where he was a speechwriter. Uh, you know, obviously everything that he did uh, in those early days around direct marketing, the one eight hundred number. You know, the zip code analysis. You know, creating loyalty programs. So I would sit down there with my you know with my um, uh, tablet, just wanting to capture you know all of his learnings. And he would politely answer my questions, but he you know, absolutely very quickly wanted to get to my challenges, right? He wanted to talk about and was far more interested in talking about what I was dealing with so that he could, you know, contribute his experience and ideas to future problems, right? You know, rather than, uh, you know, Look staying back, right? exactly yeah. in the in the past. Yeah, this and time in 1975. Absolutely. I... <laughs> he, like I said, he was polite. He would sort of, you know, say a few things, but quickly the conversation would pivot to, you know, to what I was dealing with. And and it was, you know, it was fascinating because, you know, because he would always bring things, you know, to me that, yes, you know, leverage some of the experiences that he had, but he was really kind of still far advanced. He was in terms of, you know, his uh, promotion of how to use data and how to use technology. And in healthcare, when I was, you know, at that point, as I said, I was running Wonderman New York, uh, but I, I definitely had a passion with health. I mean, he called it curriculum marketing, but I think, again, a lot of it, you know, um, really holds true. And that is the whole, you know, that we have to stop just, you know, shouting at people and communicating these broad brand messages. And we actually have to engage people and have a curriculum of how we're going to kind of move them through this journey. And he felt that that was very important in healthcare mm -hmm. to be able to change their habits. Yeah, that, that uh, you, had to, you had to really know the sequence of communication, I think, to be able Which to have the right impact. Exactly. Right, right. And I, again, I, I remember taking that away. And whether I used the term curriculum marketing or not, it clearly was something that we implemented in many of our, um, you know, consumer and patient programs. Just the idea of having a phase, a stage, um, a patient journey, if you will, to, to, to use that term. Um, and what a wonderful, you know, um, opportunity that must have been to, to have that audience with them on a regular basis, you know, to just, um, you know, um, both um, compare notes and learn from him and, and apply it. And he must have been happy that, um, you know, Wonderman was starting Health Agency. I would imagine, as, as you said, it was especially applicable, his concepts in the healthcare space. Yes, uh, absolutely. And, you know, and I wasn't the only one that he made, you know, time for. So, um, you know, he was a very generous uh uh, man in terms of, you know, uh, giving time to both people that worked at Wonderman as well as clients. You know, anytime that I would say to him, a client is here and they're interested in having a conversation with you, he would, you know, jump <laughs> at the chance for, for the reason that I mentioned, not because he was, you know, that he was all interested in anybody kind of, you know, uh, dwelling on his legacy, but he sure. wanted to know what was on their mind so mm -hmm. he could, uh, so he could contribute. But uh, yeah, I think, that, you know, many of the principles that Lester really founded 
were very appropriate for healthcare. So we had a lot of, I think, interesting conversations. And he was he was key as I was writing my business plan for Wonderman Health of figuring out how do we set this up so that it was you know uh, successful and differentiated for the marketplace. Sure, sure. And it's very exciting, as you said, that now we're finally turning the corner and maybe we can really realize his vision uh, for uh, individualized marketing yes. in, in healthcare. That's great. Well, I'd like to switch gears once again, if you don't mind, and uh, talk a little bit about uh, something completely different, uh, as a certain comedy troupe used to say. Uh, but <laughs> this not not a, not a not a humorous topic, but uh, just just the need for for um, uh, more you know women leaders in the industry. Um, you and I have talked about that, uh, Becky, uh, in the past. Um, you're you're a member of our MMM esteemed Hall of Fame. Um, and uh, you know we've talked about it on stage. We've talked about it uh, for an article that, that we published in October about uh, uh, health's Me Too moment. Um, but um, we, we talked about how um, there's a, a leadership gap um, in healthcare vis-a-vis -vis women. Fifty-two percent of um, all respondents in our salary survey, uh, and that's across biopharma, medical device manufacturing agency positions in the U.S. Healthcare, marketing, media, and comms sector are female. However, there's a lower female representation in leadership positions, which we uh, are talking about director level and above, with only 43% of women holding these roles. Uh, so 52 minus 43, you get nine. So that equates to a nine percentage point leadership gap, as we've called it. Um, and it's particularly pronounced in the, in the manufacturer side of only about 25% um, uh, of, uh, uh, of uh, women respondents there um, are, are director level or above. Agencies are a little bit better, about 40%. Uh, but we wanted to ask, um, I think Larry had a good question uh, on this um, in terms of uh, you know the progress that we've made. Yeah, um, I, I guess my, my one of the questions I wanted to ask you as one of the inaugural members of the you know, Hall of Fame class, uh, are we at a point now where it's kind of beyond? I mean, is, are we seeing concrete action towards getting you know this you know, leadership diversity? I don't want to say fixed, but at least you know in a way that represents the industry as a whole. Or is it still in the let's talk about it, let's talk about it, let's talk about it, and do something you know kick it down the road a little bit phase? Are you seeing concrete action? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, you know, to listen to your statistics, Mark, you know, I also might have a bias in terms of the agency environment um, mm -hmm. because we're clearly sure. making more progress. If you look at my own agency mm -hmm. and right. uh, in addition to myself, the, you know, chief growth officer, the CFO, the chief creative mm -hmm. officer, the head of strategy, they're all women. So, mm -hmm. and, but mm -hmm. maybe that, maybe there's probably some, uh, there's something to that, right? Uh, which Absolutely. is that uh, you know I think women uh, in these positions, and uh, you know it's not like I do anything really with I I think in a in a biased way, but um, I think women um, appreciate working for other women. Also, I see the you know potential in leadership, so I am you know um, very comfortable in putting you know, women in these uh, leadership roles. So I do think we've made a lot of progress. I give the Me Too movement overall. I think it has done a lot, obviously, not only in its uh, in its specific mission and charter to deal with, you know, sexual harassment, but I think that what it has done overall is to encourage women to, um, you know, to, to, to be more open, to create 
bigger communities to discuss more, and that's and that's part of it. I mean, I think even when as we're dealing then uh, with the broader issue of workplace inequality, I think it's just it's opening up these conversations. That is, uh, I think that is a requirement, and empowering women because I you know I think again one of the things that I've seen across um, the agency WPP Mark is you know Mark Reed. Um, actually started the Pass It On initiative at Wonderman. He's really carrying that forward um, uh, at WPP. And I think that you would see other examples of that, you know, in other in other places. But at the same time, we have to get, you know, while while organ while it's important that organizations open up those opportunities, we have to get women I think to want some of those opportunities. And that's that's a conversation, Mark, that you and I have had, which is I think we have sometimes a narrow definition of what you know a great leader might be, or the requirements of you know of leadership, and we haven't quite sold that to to women. Like women, from my experience with the, the women that I work with, they um, you know they're you know they don't want necessarily to play the office politics. They're not looking for you know the power trip. Not to say that you know all men are, but I just think they have different motivations, mm-hmm. and we have to make sure that the leadership positions that we're putting out there for women really have the sensitivities to what women are looking for because if we don't do that uh, then even if organizations I think are more supportive which they you know I think which I see more of then you know we still would have a shortage because women also I think have to you know have to be empowered and come forward sure and um, uh, we heard back uh, at JPM uh, the JPM conference uh, was it last week or the week before um, we, we're running a quote actually uh, in our upcoming issue, um, uh, but um, uh, the, the sentiments of a, of a female woman, a woman leader, woman CEO from Accelera, Accelera RX. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but they're like a pharmacy network. But they spoke at, so they were one of the presenters, and she said there's a, pr- a prevalent uh, mindset. Um, maybe it's on the manufacturer side. I'm not sure so much the agency side or maybe the vendor side. That it's a zero sum game. That there's because there's only a limited number of senior positions for women. This was this one female CEO's um, perception. If I win, then you lose. That I'm taking it away from somebody else, and that has to that has to change, or else we're not going to move forward. So, um, you know, that was you know maybe one of the obstacles, uh, perhaps to to more um, uh, women helping women and, and mentorship uh, that, that needs to take place. I just thought that was interesting. Uh, but you had told me back in October that uh, you see the business world taking a lot of exciting steps forward, but it's a long journey. So that, that, that comment seems to be more prescient uh, than ever. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> so. a long journey. But again, I, I also uh, congratulate you on the Hall of Femme uh, because <clears throat> I think that women need to see, uh, you know, they need to see more role models. It goes back to my point about mm-hmm. uh, defining, um, you know, uh, and making leadership attractive. So I think women need to see women in those positions and, you know, and uh, and be able to appreciate that they can, you know, they can do this and it doesn't, you know, that it uh, they can do it in their ter- in their way and on their on their terms. So I think, uh, again, the only way that they're going to, I think, you know, want those types of positions uh, is if, it, like I said, if they feel that it matches their aspirations mm-hmm. as well. So, again, I, sure. you know, I credit you for, you know, for the Hall of Femme because I do think that it's an opportunity for women to see other women and to understand the path, you know, that we've all taken, which clearly will be, you know, personal and individual. But, the, you know, and we will all, each of us have our own challenges and hurdles. 
but then to you know to make sure one of the things I try to do is to make sure that women also can appreciate the benefits of uh, of leadership as well. And again, it isn't about money and title necessarily, but I talk about having influence uh, in an organization and uh, and using then using my position. For things that we're talking about is to make sure that um, that yes uh, that we recognize other women that we give women uh, opportunities uh, that we create kind of a, a healthy culture for both men and women right and that I am you know if I'm not in this leadership position that I won't wouldn't be able to have that level of influence and that mm-hmm. you know and I think that's one of the points that I try to make to you know to ensure that other women see the real benefit of it yeah stressing the importance of mm-hmm. that and thank you for your comments about the Hall of Fame and if, if, if you know it is a good opportunity to at least open up conversations for that and to highlight um, women leaders and there's a lot of excellent ones out there as we know um, and so we were happy uh, to, to use uh, our brand platform as well to, to, to advocate for more um, and um, our uh, we just closed actually the uh, nomination process for this year's uh, Hall of Fame and we'll be making those uh, announcement of that list in a couple of months so before you leave that, I, that was going to be one of my questions to you is um, given the fact that you just closed out the nominations, did you see more applicants? Did you, I mean, is there any trend that you can point to as a result of that? Absolutely. Uh, more applicants um, and, you know, you don't want to judge one person against the next, but certainly a higher quality, um, a higher caliber of applicant. Um, the first year, I mean, let's be honest, we had a pretty good idea of who our first class was going to be just based on the leaders with whom we'd interacted over the years. Um, this year, there are people that you know we've heard about that have been you know saying, "Hey, you got to talk to this person. She's incredibly smart, and um, it's encouraging." Um, you know, I think a lot of it is also you know you have a program established for a couple of years. Necessarily, you're going to get a little more attention as you go on, but um, you know, looking you know and starting the judging, it's it's, it's good. It's that's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. I mean, that, that again. I think that's a, that's a sign. Yeah, right. Yeah, that yeah, pro- yeah. we are making progress. Absolutely, it's mm-hmm. very encouraging. Mm-hmm. So should we start our rapid-fire uh, segment to yeah. close out the, uh, the program? You know, I, I think we said we'd only keep you here for 20 minutes and we're way over, so thank you for your generosity of time here. Um, what we'd yeah, like to do you. at the end of each of our podcasts is kind of have a little, you know, three quick questions, kind of a lightning round. And um, since you're the first person, we won't be able to do this, but what we'd like to do is invite you to suggest the third question for our next guest. Kind of a broad question, anything that you want to ask, and we'll use it in our next MMM podcast with our, I believe we'll be taping it next Tuesday. And, uh, you know, hopefully that person will suggest a question and we'll uh, start a thing, you know. So our first question for you, um, who are, in your mind, the smartest and most entertaining, uh, most innovative or anything else uh, people in healthcare marketing today? Um, Linda Avey. Uh, she is, uh, and... Uh, I, you know, again, I'm so interested in what's been done around the genomics, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why Linda is on that list. Um, I, you know, I think 23andMe. I, you know, I gave 23andMe to every member of my family. Right? <laughs> I, I think, yeah, exactly. I, I, I just yeah, that would be way on the list. Those pioneers around, uh, you know, around giving people access to data and, uh, you know, and particularly genomics. Yeah. I mean, opening mm-hmm. their eyes to it, yeah. really. Second question, um, who are some people outside healthcare who inspire you, inform you, entertain you? Mark Reed, my boss. (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) Um, 
Ooh, uh, tough and challenging. Uh, it's like you know, it's like when somebody asks you for a restaurant uh, recommendation, yeah. and you're just you know on the spot, and you can't exactly. Think. You know, it's funny. I've like heard that. that question asked so many times before, and up until about a year ago, the default answer was uh, Elon Musk, and now not too many people giving him as the uh, respondent to that one anymore. So yeah, I don't know. I uh, I'm gonna have to take a pass on that. No problem. Uh, Last question, and then we'll let you get out of here. Um, what are the most essential podcasts for people in your line of work? You know, I, I mean, the, man, there is so there's so many podcasts that I listen to in health. Everything from you know the nutritional advice uh, to um, management. You know, Harvard Business Review, right? All of their uh, tips on how to be uh, a good leader uh, to kind of a you know more, more holistic uh, therapies. So I, you know, I, I guess I would encourage, which is one of the things with healthcare, we have a tendency, I think, to just focus very much on healthcare. But I think to be effective in this business, we have to have a more holistic, you know, yeah, a whole, a more holistic perspective of how people are engaging with content, um, how they're actually just managing their health because they're not managing their health entirely just by a condition. But you know, but I think just. You know, the technology has encouraged people to, you know, um, to look at sleep and to, you know, to look at, uh, you know, diet and exercise, you know, and to just connect all of that. Speaking of content, you mentioned the importance of content. We have our uh, February content going up soon on mmm-online.com, so everybody can, can look out for that. Uh, it's our data issue coming up, uh, so we have a great cover story by Larry on, on the privacy uh, issues uh, inherent uh, in data um, and, um, you know, with, with some of the big data breaches um, with, with some of the biggest healthcare organizations, um, it kind of begs the question, who's next? And, um, you know, is um, the industry tightening up its data uh, procedures? We have a really nice feature of um, profiling data architects in life sciences, and then we have some nice case studies on use of AI and machine learning and healthcare marketing. So that's, stay tuned everybody for that. That'll be next week. Uh, but in the meantime, I want to thank Becky Chittister, CEO of Wonderman Health, for joining us today. Really appreciate it. It was Absolutely. really fascinating Thanks so much for being discussion. here. Thank you. Thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, we're going to uh, say uh, sayonara here and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Take care.